Welcome, church. The assigned reading for today is from Acts chapter 3. In the wake of Jesus' resurrection, look what happens. And here's the storyline we find ourselves in. Jesus is God, comes into history, lived without sin. He died on the cross, rose from the dead, sent it back into heaven, sent the Spirit to indwell and empower his people to continue his ministry and his message. And the message of the resurrection is that though sin brings death and decay, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus brings life and salvation. Times of refreshing. And this includes what happened a little earlier in chapter 3. The healing of a man who was crippled from birth. We read the story that Peter and John are going up to the temple around 3 o'clock, the time of prayer, and they see a man who's been lame since birth. And he's begging, trying to make some money to make ends meet. And they tell him, silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this guy's instantaneously healed, jumps up, dances a jig, rejoices, and walks into the temple to praise God. Wouldn't you like to have been there? The question then is, how do we make sense of this? And what's next? Our reading from Acts 11, chapter 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, I don't know about you, this seems kind of funny to see. Three grown men, one hanging on to the other two, because he just got healed. And he's, he's going to keep these guys close. He's not going to let them out of his sight. He's probably thinking something like, hey... If there's a relapse, I know who to call. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. Wouldn't you be astounded? Somebody lame from birth? Lame from birth? All of a sudden is on Dancing with the Stars? Wow. All the people are utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. That's this big open courtyard. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So he's going to stand up and preach. You know why? Because it's always a good time for a sermon. Because you need help to make sense of what just happened. That's what pastors help us do. They help us to make sense of the experiences in life. So Peter here, he's, he's going to preach. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. Man, he's getting personal. Whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And he continues... And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health, writes the doctor, in the presence of all of you. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What then? Repent, therefore, here's our key verse, repent, therefore, and turn back 
See, ignorance is an excuse. That your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. A man is healed, a crowd gathers, Peter preaches about Jesus. That's what happened. Now, I want to get share with you four things about this passage. First of all, Jesus' people need to gather. Mm -hmm. They need to gather in small groups like Bible studies and prayer groups and mission teams, and they need to gather in large groups, like here in the temple and on the day of Pentecost when thousands gathered. They all rushed into an area in the temple called Solomon's Portico. It was large, open area where they could all fit, and there were lectures and meetings and gatherings there. Peter stands up to preach to a large crowd, something that we do on Sunday. So if you got something against big churches, you better take it up with the book of Acts. Large gatherings. Number two, when something happens by God's grace, the person who receives that grace gets the gladness. The person who served them gets the gratitude. But ultimately, only Jesus gets the glory. So on this occasion, there's a man who was lame from birth. He was healed. The Bible says he was leaping, celebrating, and praising God. He's glad. He gets the gladness. He's healed. Peter and John, they get the gratitude. Thank you for stopping. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for praying for me. God works through people, and we should be grateful that he does, and we should be grateful for them and grateful to them. The gratitude can go to the servants, but ultimately, the glory belongs to Jesus alone. And this is what Peter demonstrates, because the crowd rushes in and they hear, wow, these guys have the gift of healing. Well, in a day when a lot of people are poor and don't have good medical coverage and Peter and John are healing without any premiums, all of a sudden, they're highly popular. And as everyone is looking at Peter and John, they say, whoa, 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 don't think that we healed this man by our power or piety. Jesus healed him. Jesus is alive and ruling and, and reigning from his heavenly phone. And he can involve himself in anyone's life at any point. And do whatever he wishes, because Jesus is God. Jesus healed, not us. He gets the glory. Number three, people need Bible preaching and teaching to make sense of their experience. They just had an experience. A man is healed. But the question is, well, who healed him? Why was he healed? What does this mean? Those are the kind of questions that follow. So it is for you and me. And some would wrongly say that we don't need teaching. We need simply experience. We don't need any education about God. We just need to experience God. Might I submit to you, you need both. God is the living God. We need to experience him, but even if and when we do experience him, we do not understand him unless we have education regarding him. And so when we can't understand what is happening in our life or in our world, we go to God and his word to make sense of it. We must view our lives in the context of God. Otherwise, they make no sense and experiences have no real purpose.
And the fourth point, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to be courageous for Jesus. Jesus did not rise again from the dead so you could go back to the way things always were. Take a look at Peter, who earlier when Jesus was arrested denied he even knew Jesus, fearing for his own life. We might say, rightly, he was a coward. After the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples, Peter has become bold. Here he is acting in a way that is very courageous. First of all, he's at the temple. I mean, this is an institution that is magnificent. It's the spiritual center, the financial center, the cultural center, the political center. I mean, it was an amazing place where God's people would come to worship in the presence of God, yet it was a hostile place for the followers of Jesus. And Peter stands up in a section of the temple to preach and proclaim the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and he does so to people who were likely there at the crucifixion of Jesus, shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. He says, You killed Jesus. You handed him over. You preferred the murderer Barabbas to the God-man Jesus. You did this. He gets real personal with them, and he tells it like it is. He's being very courageous, and he's calling them out to repent, knowing that if he doesn't, if they don't, odds are they'll murder him too. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower you and me to be courageous in talking about Christ. And so as Peter gets up, he has this amazing sermon about Jesus, because after all, it's all about Jesus. And here's his word for us today, Acts 3.19. Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I want you to understand something. Repentance is not just for the very bad. Sometimes religious people can think like that. Repentance is for everyone. It's so important to remember. These people that Peter's calling out, these are people who believe in God. These are people who are moral. These are people who are well-behaved. These are people who are generous. These are people that if, you know, they're in scouts or girl guides, they got a lot of patches down their sleeves. They obey the rules. These are people who play by the rules. But he, what he says to them, you delivered Jesus, you denied Jesus, you killed Jesus. So when we think of sin, we can't just think of bad or malicious people, ignorant people as well. They're ignorant. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Our morality, our seemingly goodness can't save us, and we need to acknowledge that. I absolutely love this promise from God. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What an important promise for us to hold on to and memorize, because there is so much of life that can get us down, that can really stink, and we need refreshing what is it that stinks up our life so much? It's sin. We have to get rid of it. We have to deal with it. We can't toy with it. We can't play with it and we can't ignore it. When Adam and Eve sinned, death and decay, remember, decay, stink, was brought into the world. Think of sin like what's decaying in the trash can under the kitchen sink. If the trash doesn't get taken out often, it will really stink. Now, confessing our sins can be very uncomfortable and embarrassing. We don't want people to know about this thought or that thought. Sin makes us feel ashamed. Now, if you were confessing your sins to a police officer, you might likely get some jail time. 
But God wants us to confess our sins to him. Turn to God. That's what repent means. God is our loving Heavenly Father. Confessing our sins to God is not going to get us punished. Why? Because Jesus was already punished for our sins. When we confess our sins to our Heavenly Father, he's going to point to the cross where our sins were paid for and forgiven by his Son. Life stinks, and a lot of it is because of sin. Yours, mine, everyone else's. And you can take all of that sin. Sin you commit, sin committed against you, and you can give that all to God. What does he do? He forgives, he blots out, he erases it, and then he sends refreshing. Spiritual refreshing that the Bible is talking about is God's own Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Acts 2, 18. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Who here needs refreshing? Do you feel a little tired, exhausted, worn out? Same old, same old. When you're feeling down, you need to be feeling up. When you are troubled, you need peace. When you are worn out, you need to be patched up. When you are weak, you need to be made strong. When you are empty, you need to be filled. When you are hungry and thirsty for meaning, you need understanding that only God can give. When life stinks, you need refreshing from the Lord. That's what church is for. Come to church. If life stinks, we've got a pew for you. Come, repent, hear God's word, be refreshed with the Holy Spirit, and go out and witness boldly. It's the story of the early church, and it should be our story too. Amen.